What do you think, gentlemen? As you may remember, on the last episode, Carl Pierce made the shocking claim that his acting ability could outreach that of Hayden Christensen's performance as Anakin Skywalker. And so, Carl Pierce, for your listening pleasure, as they put money where his mouth is, and love you a stellar piece of movie dialogue. Over to you, Carl Pierce. <coughs> I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. A bit like Scott. And it gets everywhere. Truly, an actor extraordinaire. I thank you. I thank you. See, I even had libbed <laughs> with that. I like Scott bit. I mean, come on. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Mandalorian podcast here on Rogue Opinion. Scott McLeod taking the, the hosting duties. I'm sitting in the captain's seat of the Razor Crest today because Carl Pierce, out of protest, refused to do so. Uh, we're here to talk about Season 1, Episode 6 of The Mandalorian, titled The Prisoner, directed by Rick Pamoyia. I should have sounded that out before I said it. directed. <laughs> The second episode of the season, and the episode's also one of the few not to be written by John Favreau, is written by Christopher Yost, who has worked on, uh, on some superhero animated projects and also some experimented comic books, so quite an extensive back catalogue he has. And we're going to go through the plot, main plot of the episode, some uh, synopsis, and then go through it in a bit more detail between the two of us. But first off, Carl... Uh, and they're just you, as I obviously should have already done. And just thinking, how are you feeling going to this episode? Because I think you had your, uh, your bit hesitant going to this episode. Yeah, it's probably my least favourite episode. I enjoyed it a little bit more second time round, especially for one particular reason, which uh, I'll get into when we start discussing it properly. But yeah, it, it's, it's still probably my least favourite episode. Not because it's... Um, it's bad or anything, but it's a bit of a, it's a bit of um, sort of like a, what's the best, what's the best word? It's a bit of a sci-fi staple, the old ragtag band of people that pull off a heist or a rescue that don't really like each other and then they stab each other in the back. It's it's one of those things that's done to death in, in sci-fi and this doesn't really add anything new to that concept, to be honest. Yeah, there are a lot of tropes you've seen so many times before. It 
I think that's why the first, even though it's a kind of an enjoyable uh, story of the episode, especially for a kind of a self-contained kind of story. Uh, uh, the fact that you know you've only got a couple of episodes left, watching at the time, you're thinking when you get back to the main thing of you know the child and everything, and you know John John Carlo Esposito uh, was met. I heard was in the season. I haven't seen him yet. Like, where the hell is he going to pop up in this? And what the hell? What's the main thing happening with this child? What's going to happen there? So it just felt like after a lot of episodes that nothing was really progressing. So I think that's why at the time I wasn't into it. And like you said, plus you know so many like sci-fi or film, heist film cliches kind of do pop up in this episode. But when you watch it back and try to take it as it is, it's a very enjoyable watch. Yeah, and and this is also the first part of my new Super League parts where I'm the top <laughs> six and I get to be in every part and can't be chucked off any of them. <laughs> well, still, pretend you get it. <laughs> and I keep uh, all the money that we don't make for myself. <laughs> you don't get paid? Oh, sorry, I've said too much. <laughs> but... Let's get into the the crux of the episode. Like I said, titled "The Prisoner" because that's basically what they are. What man has been tried to do a kind of heist uh, escape uh, from a escape from prison kind of story. Uh, Mando opens the show arriving in this hangar bay uh, where he's reunited with a guy from his past called Ran, played by Mark Boone Jr., who also will probably know from uh, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, he's also a crook, a crook cop from Batman Begins. But he basically says to Mando that he's welcome there any time, that he's not going to have any trouble with the guild uh, there. And also they keep referencing a past between the two and how they used to work jobs together. And he says that he needs him, and more importantly his ship, the Razor Crest, for a, a job. He said one of their... They claim that the guy that they're helping got in trouble with some rival like gangs, but then it quickly turns out he got arrested by the New Republic. It's the New Republic prison ship they're having to break onto. A Mando ship is kind of does it's kind of old, so it doesn't fit on the New Republic's database. So it'll nice for them to get there like undetected. And see, we're introduced to Mayfield, played by Bill Burr, and so the ragtag group uh, on this uh, job with Mando, uh, including Berg, kind of this devil-like-looking character, played by Clancy Brown. Uh, second time he's been in a Star Wars-related project, having voiced. Uh, What's the third time he voiced Savage Opress, Darth Maul's brother in the Clone Wars, and he's, he voiced a character for a couple of episodes of Rebels, I can't remember what the character it was called, and then Sheehan, whose brother is that they're actually getting out, and the tease that she had a kind of romantic thing with Mando, the tease that she was upset when he when he left, and she does she does like say to him, why shouldn't I kill you where you stand when she first sees him? And um, She's a weird character. I can't remember the name of the actress, but I know the actress played a wildling in Game of Thrones. Uh, they also have Zero, a droid, probably Mando doesn't like, voiced by Richard Ayoade, if ever a bit of casting was perfect there. And obviously they, they go on this prison break, and Quinn is the name of the guy who is Shen's brother, but Mando immediately doesn't take to these people because he keeps flagging them on the ship. They try to get him to take his helmet off. They find the child, who doesn't play a big role in this, but they kind of tease him. They ask him if he's his pet or something like that. Uh, the job goes wrong after there's a human on the ship when they said that 
how they thought it was all droid manual operated and then she, uh, they end up killing him but he's triggered a, a beacon to the New Republic so they need to get out of there before they've got X-Wings on them. The dog goes around, they try and leave Mando in the cell but he then has to hunt them all down and take them out. He, he returns Quinn back to Ran because it's a job and Andrew Cody has to, to finish it. Then he leaves the tracker on them which means the New Republic come down on them as Mando and the child uh, escape. Also, uh, Zero tries to kill the child at one point, but Mando manages to shoot him before he gets a chance. It's kind of a rough overview, you know, there's a lot to digest there and we will cover it, but uh, how did you feel? It's quite a, a really diverse cast here, uh, more so than some of the other episodes. I know we've had Carl Weathers and Gina Carano here, but there's a lot of noteworthy names in this episode. Yeah, I, I didn't realise Berg was uh, Clancy Brown, actually. Uh, I like him. He's one of my favourite actors. And uh, yeah, the Zion's Natalia Tanner, who was uh, uh. the wild thing that sort of befriended Bran and his and Rickon and looked after uh, Rickon when he went on the run from uh, Theon and and who have you. So uh, so yeah, yeah. It's it's not it, as usual. It's a good cast. They've cast really well, and they get quite well known and. Uh, good actors on on the show to place some of these parts, and as you say, yeah, um, I'm, I always butcher his surname, uh, Richard um, Iowadi. yeah, it's because he, he's got that sort of dry delivery, hasn't he? That's perfect for a, mm-hmm. a droid. Yeah, also everybody knows him as kind of the awkward uh, mouse from the IT crew, mm. and I remember. Uh, the, the same year, like, uh, 2019, when this series was happening, he appeared on that year's Big Fat Quiz, and uh, they told him, oh, you were on The Mandalorian this year, and Rich Darwadi always has this look, and he had the same look when they had talked about him, like they were asking him about being a Mandalorian, he had that look as if he couldn't give a fuck. Like, which is like, <laughs> is somebody who truly enjoys acting, but will never cruelly show it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's such a funny man, and yeah, he's... He had a part in the the Mighty Boosh, which I used to like back in the day as well. It always <laughs> made me laugh. And yeah, Bill Burr, um, who played Mayfield, that's just what sort of made me pique my interest a bit more because uh, I forgot he was in it as we saw him recently in a season two episode where we we found out a lot more about him. Yeah, I do like. There's a little. It's nice when a Francis can book fun of itself or something like that. Like. Uh, and here they say that he was a former Imperial sharpshooter, and Mando assumes that means he's a stormtrooper. He goes, that isn't, that's not saying much, because so many jokes over the years have been made about the fact that those scenes where stormtroopers are shooting at people, but like they never managed to really hit anybody. And, you know, maybe you'll make me fires back, like, I wasn't a stormtrooper. We'll learn more about what his role actually was within the Empire uh, in season two, as you said. Uh, but I think in these two episodes that he does appear in, Bill Burr shows that he's, even though he's mostly known for his comedy and that, he is a really good actor. I know he's in that King of Saturn, which is more of a, a serious film, which I've not seen, but I've been meaning to watch it. So he does give him a chance to show he's more like range as an actor. And I remember he told the story on one of his podcasts that uh, the main reason he got into the show because, you know, he didn't like Star Wars is they met. Uh, I think it was some event that he met John Favreau and he said that uh, he was writing this role for him and Robert liked it mainly because it didn't sound like what you think of Star Wars. It basically sounded like a heist, you know, kind of thing. 
or but in space, you know, like actual characters that you expect to see in a film, but in like put put in this like sci-fi universe. Yeah, this that's a, a fair comment. He plays a he plays a good part. I say even he's even better, arguably, in the, the season two episode he's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. So <laughs> I do like him because uh, he has like, some of the best lines in there. Like you know, he's cracking like jokes. Uh, you know, like he's when he sees the the child, he he looks at Jian and he goes, "Did you two make that?" Even though it looks nothing like or, or um, like they don't even know what he looks like under the uh, under the the mask. Like they even say to him, "Like why doesn't he want to show his face?" With what are you a gungan? And then he imitates how a gungan talks, like Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Which uh, again is an example of like the franchise being able to like poke fun of it uh, itself. And the actual Republic ship, I think, really. Uh, look at the design of it. It's, it's kind of like ships you'd see, you know, like the original uh, Star Wars. But also when like they really had the red light and everything, and like Mando kind of, like guys kind of always looking over the show where Mando tries to get his revenge. Again, it reminds me of a mix of like one of the Alien films, but also kind of a bit of 2001 with like the red lights and everything. So it's kind of like it's kind of some throwback to some other like classic sci-fi in that sequence. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's nice to have some sort of callbacks and Easter eggs as you as you will and take inspiration from other sci fi things and uh yeah, there there is there is a lot to enjoy about the episode, which almost as contradictory after what I said at the opening, but as I say, it's not it's not a bad episode really. It's as I say, it's just a bit of a trope that I feel is a bit overdone in sci-fi uh, series but yeah I do like the fact that they sort of they double cross him and sort of lock him in a cell but he, he manages to free himself and he kind of hunts them down one by one a bit like if uh, an alien or a predator mm-hmm. I, I think at first they, they, kind of, um, they kind of tease the fact they might have killed them all but then at the end they see that they're all on the ship but in a cell uh, which is unusual, I think, from what we've seen as a Mandalorian at this point, you would expect him just to, like, fuck it and try and, like, kill them. Which is, in hindsight, it's good that he didn't, because we wouldn't have got that really good episode with Bill Burr uh, that we get in season mm. two. And he, retur- he, he finishes the job, he sticks to his code, and they, again, when they talk about the helmet, they kind of mocking him for his code, you know, she jokingly says, like, you know, this is the way, and then she's like, she said, not even she's seen him without his, his helmet on. And we we learned a few episodes ago he's not taking his helmet off in front of people since he was like a child, and so he finishes the job. But he knows they were going to probably double cross them anyway, so he basically like tricks them. He takes the dragon fob and basically lets the Republic basically blow their blow their base to hell. Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice little trick. Look, uh, I, I forgot I forgot how it ended. To be honest, when I was <laughs> rewatching it, but yeah, I thought it was like a clever. Clever little thing that he kept that uh, that tracker because they were going to send a, they were going to send like a gunship after him, weren't they, to blow him out of the sky? But it was it was one step ahead of him, probably knowing they'd try and uh, double cross him. Yeah, I I do like that the the that paid off the idea of that tracker because you know it could have been easily used as like a, just a plot device because like they they say they've got plenty of time when they go down, but then when they accidentally 
like they see the guy on the ship and we get to see a bit of Mando's humanity here, like not wanting to kill the guy, like, like we're not wanting, we don't want to kill anybody, just like we'll just let us go, let us take our friend out of here and we'll we'll leave. And the uh, Bill Burr's like pointing the gun at him and then after all the arguments he just kills him. But he falls and accidentally hits and hits the button. So now they're on a timer and that kind of ramps up the tension, which is a good way to move the plot along, but then they pay it back by like saying like, well he he held on to it and use it to get back at them and uh, I do like that they you know it's kind of serious moment where they realize like oh fuck we're going to have like the Republic on us they managed to inject some humor again into it when uh, Bill Burgess looks in and goes is that blinking before? Yeah <laughs> he's got he's got great comic timing hasn't he and mm-hmm. uh, yeah uh, Mando trying to stop them from killing that uh like guard like bloke, I think it was. Yeah, sure. I don't really see. I can't remember what they said his name was, but he was on on screen for a while. Away on like, Mando even says like, like he's annoyed because they not. He realizes so much of the job they didn't tell him, like the fact that it was a Republic ship, and then the fact that they told him it was all droids, like monitored, and not expecting there to be an actual person on board. Yeah, he. He does seem to be quite easily duped, uh, Mando, to be fair, which we'll also get into when we review the the next couple of episodes leading mm-hmm. into the season finale. Um won't spoil anything now, even though most people <laughs> listening have probably seen it already. But yeah, he, perhaps I suppose his policy of not asking too many questions does come back and bite him in the bum from time to time. Yeah, because like he and Ryan talk about the, the policy of the, the place they went to uh, get this job, you know, uh, uh, no questions. And like he's also annoyed about the, he doesn't want to deal with the Republic because he's already got the guild after him. And also, he's also been involved in a lot of illegal activities, so the Republic won't be fond of him either if they, they catch him. Uh, and I think with the what we learn more about in season two about how he was brought up, also being a foundling from a young age, being brought up by this group of Mandalorians. We have a certain way of doing it from other Mandalorians that he's basically been I think it's because of the way he was brought up and the ideas that he was all raised on that's focused on I think he's easy to be able to be because he was it's all been drilled into him from a young age he's willing to believe uh, I'm trying I think you get what I'm trying to say is easily yeah I think it's because of how he was brought up and it's fed the same rhetoric by people you know this is the way you know finish your the job he's already agreed to do it so even though he keeps finding out, like, oh, they lied to me, but this thing he still goes through with it. Yeah, definitely. And it, it gets him some money, which he's in desperate need of at the moment, especially as he's sort of on the run as with the uh, with the child. And also, like, there's quite a funny bit I like where Rich Iodi's android tells them, I've We've lost co- communication, and that means you can't hear me anymore. And he carries on rambling for like two minutes, even though he's already stated that they can't hear him, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, that was good. The idea that I was trying to make about Mando kind of sounded better in my head before I tried to explain it. But he's been brainwashed from the young age, that's why I'm basically trying to say that so he's easily fooled at times. But he is still wary of, of people, I think, more often than not. Mm. And I think also it uh, helps that they they cut off from from zero because you know he was the one mapping them through the ship. They easily got to the the cell that they were going to, and then now that he's not also he's not communicating with them. So now they're trying to find their way in this ship they've never been on before, 
and now they've got an annoyed Mandalorian after them, it kind of ramps up the tension in that regard of like what's going to happen next. And uh, with Richard Iowai's character, he's obviously going on about how smart he is. Like, he tries to make modifications to the ship, but he says like we're still only running at sixty-seven percent. Like why the hell are we using this ship? And then that's where you learn about it not being on the database, so it's easier to get him undetected. But his whole thing is basically talking about how much how superior he is than everybody else in because he's a droid, and then he's easily outsmarted by a child. Who, he, well, he is a child, but he's technically 50 years old, but still, like with the mind of a child, <laughs> is easily managed to fool this so-called super-intelligent android. Sounds a bit like most 50-year-olds when you, when you say it out loud, of a mind of a child. <laughs> especially <laughs> mad. Especially mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, so, he... I don't know why his first instinct when he sees the child is to try and kill it, but cause he, he finds like a transmission from Carl Weathers' character and he's trying to like tell me feels about it, like he's got info on the Mandalorian that they want they could maybe use and like he's talking about a Becky, so I think he maybe assumes that that's what he's after, but he's I don't it's weird that his first thing is to try and kill the child and then Grogu kinda of takes them this week plays this game of cat and mouse with him mm. until he's ultimately killed by, by Mando. Yeah, I thought because at the end I thought he'd used his uh, force powers to to defeat the, the android, but it turned out it was it was Mando shooting him from behind. <laughs> yeah, I do like that they tease like he had he had his behind it. His eyes are closed. He's a bit he's a bit to use it, and it's been a couple of episodes, so you think they're actually going to do it, and then just the gunshot, and this is Mando. There's like, nah, it takes too long. Fuck it, like kind of like India Jones <laughs> where the guy's throwing the sword around, and he goes, ah, fuck this. Yeah, uh, so like the um, the fight with Berg was good as well because he's so sort of strong and powerful. None of his tricks were working. His, his flamethrower had no effect. He obviously couldn't outpunch him or anything. In the end, he had to trap him with the bulkhead doors to to knock him out. And I actually assumed that killed him at first until, as you say, the end sequence when they're all trapped inside the uh, prison ship themselves. Yeah, because like, what happens with Xi'an and uh, Mayfield is a bit more ambiguous, but the fact that the doors have shut on Bergy, you assume that would have killed him, because like, in the first episode, I'm pretty sure he cut somebody in half with a door mm. and like, one of the first sequences you see of him, so you'd assume that would have killed him, and it is nice to see this actual fight, because you know, Berg, ever since he saw the Mando, ever since he saw Mando, was like like, looking at him like, you know, like, I didn't expect the Mandalorian to be so tiny. You guys are supposed to be some of the best warriors in the, in the galaxy and all that. So, basically, been, he's basically underestimating the whole episode and he's trying to prove he's still, and then Mando manages to basically outsmart him in the end with the doors. And Mando's the one having the last laugh. Yeah, because it's quite funny because he's this one that comes down on him first, but then you see him lifting it back up, and then these two from the side come crashing down. And- into it, <laughs> yeah, and I thought that Mando. I think it's good that like in the first episode or so, you see him as just this kind of is kind of a badass, and he still is, but he doesn't really, he's not really an emotional person. But I think we talked about over the course of the first couple of series that as the show was like mostly because of his relationship with the child, you see more of a humanity to him, and he's got this kind of code that he lives by that means he's not that cold-hearted. And I think it's perfectly shown in the idea that, you know, 
he doesn't like droids, which they flag him for, both in the idea of, like, you know, she enters it, or you're going to be able to handle it, you know, because it's all droid-operated, and also the fact that Zero's piloting the ship, which he doesn't like, but when he sees this guy here, like, he doesn't want to kill him, he just wants to do the job he was hired for. So everybody else is like, I'll just kill the guy and get out of here. He's the, he's the only, like, voice saying, like, but no, let's not, let's just, like, find the cell and go. Hmm. Which you wouldn't have thought you'd have gotten from like a couple of episodes previous. Yeah, he, he's definitely not someone who just kills for the sake of it, and uh, very rarely, if, even if it's a quarry by by the looks of it, he is. Um, but as you say, yeah, we, we see sort of as the season goes, you, you sort of see his humanity growing as his connection with the child grows, and you sort of see that even more in um, season two. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Especially when Grogu gets captured towards the end of the the season. Mm-hmm. I like there's a nice moment like to end the episode when he's when the Rusegrist is flying away from from Rand's place as the Republic are, are firing on it. You see him in the ship with the, the child, and he's he unscrews part of the the, the kind of joystick thing that the child was playing with in a previous episode and just gives it to him. And so that's kind of a wee like bonding moment between the two. Yeah, he does like that little silver ball that's part of that lever thing, and uh, that that's another thing that you see in a season two episode as well, which um, means more as means more <laughs> in that episode as well. Yeah, so like it's, it's nice to actually when you watch about the same thing, you realise you're getting all this like character moments from Mando, and like they're consistent with his whole dislike of droids because you see everybody else is like down in the lower part of the ship. Or is the first he's there, like watching uh, Zero like a hawk because he doesn't like again trust droids. Let alone one having to fly his ship for him. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely callbacks um, in future episodes that make things that happen in the first season and that make sense or look, you know, look look better for lack of a better word because I've quite really I've quite enjoyed rewatching it because I haven't yeah. rewatched it since I've seen season two and it's like oh, Mayfield Mayfield's in in this one who crops back up and Fennec as well from uh, yeah. earlier on although I remembered I remembered her being in it previously but I didn't remember Mayfield being in it previously because this is an episode I kind of sort of wiped from my memory as as soon as I saw it first time round, so it, it it's nice to be able to pick up on these little things, and yeah, there's like a a continued even if it's small, there's like a small there's like a a thread that run runs through it. Yeah, there's a an episode in season two that I think is actually uh, is worse than this one. Uh, even though this one isn't one of my top favorites, this one would be not too far ahead of the one I'm talking about in season two, but. As I said, one way that these two shows are connected because I think in that episode in season two we find out that after he shoots Zero, even though he doesn't like them, he doesn't like, immediately discard the body. Like somehow, like his body or his part of it is on is still on the ship, uh, which gets used in that episode that I'm talking about. But we'll also cross that bridge when yeah. we come to it. I'm not fond of that episode because of lots of spiders or spider-looking <laughs> things, and spiders are a no-no. <laughs> okay, but and um, I do like that we're reminded of you know Carl Weathers' character. You know that takes us into the next couple of episodes. You know going to the finale of the season. But 
I think with this uh, episode, what I didn't really like about it was, again, like you said, all these cliches that are still kind of annoyed me from last time I watched it. It was one of those episodes, one of those kind of storylines that, like, you almost wouldn't be able to do this. You wouldn't really be able to call it a sci-fi show unless you did an episode with this kind of storyline involved in it. And, you know, there's always all these kind of callbacks. Oh, do you basically a good few times in the episode, oh, do you remember this job on Random Planet, which sounds like somewhere far in space, or remember the job we did there, or do you remember what you did in this? Do you like, I don't like being reminded of things that would probably make better episodes. Yeah, and... Um... You can almost lay lay these episodes out in your head before things even happen. Like, oh yeah, he's not going to get on with half of the crew, and at some point they're going to stab him in the back and try and kill, you know, try and kill him or at least imprison him. And then he'll then he'll get out and get the better of him. So, you know, there's so sort of there's so much of a trope um, done to death that. You can sort of tell the story in the head before it's even happening, if I'm making sense. Yeah, like, it's kind of a trope that's been done in TVs and TV shows and films for ages. Like, two characters haven't seen each other, but have to come back together for some kind of common goal or some kind of common job, basically. And, like, they're desperate to establish the memory that means on. So these two have a path they go back a long way. And the main way they do that is just basically just them randomly reminding each other of things they've done in the past, but never expanding on it for the sake of the audience. It's just a case of, like, as if you already know, because the characters would obviously already know. But more often than not, when you do that in a show or a film, you, the way they have the characters talk about it, you watch them thinking, who actually talks like that? Yeah. And um, Hero finds a 50-year-old baby and befriends him. I mean, that's done to death. I mean, wasn't that on the standards <laughs> the other week? <laughs> <laughs> And, like it's one of those kind of weirdly lazy kind of thing. I think, like I say, I wouldn't expect it from Mandalorian, but maybe uh, not to like like Christopher Yosu who did the episode, who wrote the episode. I'm sure he's a hell of a, a writer, but I think part of this is maybe part of my like dislike of like tropes like that that appear in the episode is partly because this is one of the few ones not written by uh, John Favreau, who has a heavy hand. Because you wouldn't expect this kind of almost lazy tropes in because you're doing such a good job in the conversations between Mando and uh, Ran in the first few minutes that established who Ran is and what kind of character he is. And you could see why Mando would have probably crossed paths with him in his line of work. But then they keep throwing these like stories like, uh, that Ran uh, tells Mayfield to like tell him how good Mando is. And it's one of those things, again, like, it's just, it just felt like, lazy a little bit. Yeah, I mean, especially when... Uh joking aside, the series has felt so sort of original and, and fresh um, until this point as well. And you'd like to think they could have avoided these uh, sort of tropey episodes, but there you go. It, it's still done with the with the usual flair and pizzazz that um, man, you know, the, the, the film, all the other Mando episodes, it's just one of those where, you know, as you say, it's, it is a little bit lazy, to be fair. Yeah, but you know that's kind of a minor thing. Again, it's one of those episodes that's helped on a on a rewatch. And I said, uh, like you said, girl, I've enjoyed myself watching these back because I've just been watching these one at a time for the sake of these of uh, sake of this review. I've not I've been tempted to just watch the next one just for the sake of it. 
but I want to like for the purpose of this podcast do like I did when I was watching them at the time, just you know, going back to the the weekly kind of view because it's through shows like this that help get you back into that mindset of having to wait a week to see what happens next, even if you have seen it before. Yeah, exactly. I'm the same. I like to try and watch them as close to recording as I can because my memory is shot. And if <laughs> I watch it, <laughs> if I watch it too long before we record, I'll forget everything. <laughs> yeah, I I probably write more detail in my notes than I need to, just so I don't remember because I can probably remember key moments and tell you, oh, this happened, this happened, even if I've just watched it. But knowing me, like I'll forget our kind of basic bit that I want to talk about. So it's just for my own reassurance that I don't forget anything happened when I make my notes. Yeah, there's nothing worse than you stop recording and then you suddenly think, oh, no, I forgot to mention this. Oh, that kills me when that happens. <laughs> but uh, there you go. I think we pretty much... Uh, covered everything on on this episode as far as I can as far as I'm concerned anyway unless you've got anything else you wanna you wanna add Scott? No I think because the action sequences are pretty much what you would expect you know Mando gets to show off what he can do he takes out the droids which I'm sure he enjoyed too but then also we talk about how the kind of cat and mouse kind of chasing like if you've seen like something like the alien films or something like that then you know what we're but it's kind of action sequence you'd expect the show and I think again we talked about the tropes that are involved in this uh, so uh, we found the positives where there are some because uh, I don't think it was much of a, a shitting on this as we maybe expected going into it so because I think at the end of the day even though it's one of the bad episodes like, I think you watch this and you think this is like the worst episode of like the series like, it speaks to the quality the high quality of the show overall if you can still find as much to enjoy about it and this, and this is technically cast as the worst episode of the first series. Yeah, it's still a lot better than some of the better episodes of a, a lot of other series out there. So um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's still uh, it, you know it's it's still worth watching. Um, if I was going to rate it, I'd probably give it a six out of ten. I'd I'd probably say that's fair as well. I'd, I'd go with that because I'd try to get all the positives. Uh, out of the way and like all things I picked up the same time as I could before giving any criticism so you know I, I made sure we got as much as we could everything that this episode was worth we got out of it and I definitely would say a 6 out of 10 is probably fair definitely but better times are ahead as uh, we head towards the season finale episode 7 and 8 which uh we're going to record, because it's a two-parter, as a double bumper episode. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to watching those episodes again and uh, chatting about them, because there'll be a lot more to talk about, a lot happening in those episodes. Yeah, because that's the closest the show really gets to kind of a two-parter in terms of like the show, because episode eight picks up immediately from like episode seven. So I'll be really excited to talk about that, really delve into the details of those two episodes. But Carl, there's also a lot going on here at Rogue Opinion. So do I maybe tell the people what uh, some of that stuff you're involved in is other than this obviously fabulous show? Yeah, well, um, there's a Bantam Munich episode out right now. Me 
recently and back together as a threesome to discuss the weekend games and also to give you our rogue opinions on the new the <laughs> uh, Super League, which looks like some clubs are already pulling out of as we speak. So uh, that start that went well, didn't it? That lasted long. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also the Road Chronicles I do with Liam, where we talk about um, villains of pop culture. So uh, another one of those should be out shortly. With any luck. And uh, do I do any more podcasts at the moment? I'm not sure that I do. Oh, yeah, there's Takeover. Um, they're still relevant. Takeover, Stand and Deliver. Uh, two rest, well, WrestleMania's part one and part two, or night one and night two, if you will. That uh, Me and my wonderful co-host, Scott McLeod, have recorded. So uh, make sure you check those out. Yeah, definitely. And... Uh... Yeah, remember a check out the brand at rogue underscore opinion. Check out those uh, those reviews that me and Kyle just did, in, as well as past episodes of this lovely review of the Mandalorian. Hopefully, you'll stay with us as we continue this journey through the Mandalorian and Star Wars universe. You, you can find me on Twitter at scottmclean eighteen eighty six. The Rogue Retro Smackdown review is progressing hot on the road to WrestleMania two thousand with uh, this weekend uh, the Go Home episode for WrestleMania two thousand is going to be released a big moment for the history of women's wrestling happens on that episode and then the following week uh, we will have the Wrestlemania 2000 review but you can't wait for that one of the greatest Wrestlemania's of all time on the plus side though Team Godfather is on there (laughs) who who among us Kyle is the D'Lo Brown I think I, I think I'm probably the Dino Brown to, to be fair. <laughs> God, you heard it here first, Carl Fields, he's the real deal now. <laughs> and uh, also check out Carl joining me and Nathan on a, a recent rebooking podcast or a fantasy booking podcast, sorry, where we book our own version of WrestleMania thirty seven and you hear some complaints about night two, maybe ours was a little bit better especially if you love Disney, and <laughs> already the wheels are being put in motion for a very special uh, fantasy booking podcast uh, involving myself, Nathan, and a third who I will not reveal yet, even though you've already heard him uh, on a recent podcast. Ooh, who are you talking about? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, also, you can check out uh, stuff with uh, Scott and Paul's Ramblin' podcast at SB Ramblin'. We're getting a review of the recent uh, Hardcore Justice Impact Plus special, hopefully up. Uh, later in the week and a little preview ahead of Rebellion this Sunday uh, their next uh, pay-per-view also on Eat Sleep Stiff Let's Retreat I've got some stuff there uh, I was recently on their next most recent feature show covering Dark Side of the Rings and episodes from the first two series there and we'll have a little look ahead to season three which starts on the 6th of May I believe and this Sunday the same day as uh, Rogue Smack did over on ESSR's podcast feed latest episode of a show I do over there called East Meets West, where my friend, me and my friend Grant talk about all the goings-on in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, you know, if you, if you love the sound of my lovely voice, God knows I don't, God knows I don't, uh, you can hear me twice, first on SmackDown, and then on East Meets West, depending on which one you find first. But sounds like you're permanently stuck to a microphone, uh, Scott. 
yeah, I forgot. I have fallen out of love with my own voice long ago. I just want to go to bed and just sleep for 24 hours. <laughs> Is that too much to ask? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that been decided. Until next time. Oh, I, bet, I bet you're even podcasting in your sleep, aren't you? You, you probably don't even know it. Like you're setting up and you're talking about, I don't know, um, AEW Dark or something. You'd have to pay me to do a podcast <laughs> where I can regularly talk about AEW Dark. And they do the quality wrestling. But it's basically superstars in the modern day, isn't it? Just <laughs> name you recognize versus someone you've never heard of. Who's going to win this one? Hmm, I wonder. <laughs> ah, so basically stick that right up your ass. I've not even had a chance to watch uh, Dark Elevation, and you know what? I doubt I ever will. See, this is why we have to have the Super League of Podcasts so I can pay Scott. <laughs> you know, this is why we used to do grapple updates, because it's too much of a pain you have to do individual reviews. Just fucking clamp it all together. <laughs> there's so much going on. <laughs> But until next time, when I had the uh, the pilot chair of the Razor Chris back over to the lovely Carl Pierce, I'll just say thank you all for listening, and do remember that this is the way. This is indeed the way. Goodbye, everybody.